welcome to The Power of Rhythm, a podcast with your host, Reinhard Flattischler, founder of Mega Drums, Takatina Symphonic, and a worldwide network of groundbreaking rhythm training. This podcast will offer you an incredible diversity of voices around the one thing that connects us all. Rhythm. Welcome to episode 16 of my podcast, which is dedicated to the mystery of groove. A state that's so powerful that it pulls you out of your seat and makes you dance, or if this is not possible, at least move some of your body parts. Groove and pleasure have an intimate relationship that we're going to explore today with my guest, who has an amazing history in groove research, and he's rooted in two worlds, music and medicine. As an internist, he studied musicology, philosophy, and more recently also mathematics and statistics. Since 2006, he has been working as a researcher and lecturer at the Lucerne School of Music, and his most recent research focus is on music psychology. He certainly is the man, the right person to guide us today into the psychology of Groove. Welcome, Dr. Oliver Sen. Thank you very much, uh, Reinhard Flattischer, for this um, nice introduction. Um, I must say that this was the biography actually of two people, because you probably found Oliver Sen, who is uh, actually a medical doctor and who works at the university, uh, at the university hospital in Zurich, but um, it's not me. So uh, we have been confounded a couple of times because of the similarity of the names, but um, I'm not a medical doctor. So I'm just a music psychologist, but I hope <laughs> we will have a, a good little uh, journey through Groove nevertheless. Yes, I think it's uh, still the right person to guide us into the psychology of Groove. So uh, actually, what the first question would be on a personal uh, level. When did you and how did you for the first time encounter Groove? So on a, on a personal level, of course, um, Groove has, has basically always been a part of how I encountered uh, music because I love dancing. I, um, I loved as a younger man, of course, going out and, and have fun dancing and moving to music. And I personally cannot, um, uh, cannot resist moving to music if, uh, if I feel the groove. So that has been um, a long personal history. Um, as um, let's say as a as a researcher, it, it's more recent. So I did some uh, research uh, in the domain of jazz, for example, jazz history. I did some research also about um, timing in classical music, so um, agogics and things like that. And uh, a colleague of mine, uh, Lorenz Kirchenmann, and I, we encountered a theory that started to interest us very much, which was about the relevance of timing for groove. And we start to study that phenomenon. And actually that launched us into, uh, into this journey of studying groove more thoroughly and maybe more on a more holistic um, level. 
Okay. So uh, before we really go into the details of groove research and what can make a rhythm be really groovy, uh, what would you say to our listeners? What can humanity, what can people gain from groove? Um, so it's not more, not the question what they can gain, it's more the question what actually do we gain? Because um, groove is basically, it's a, a condition of life that transcends the whole human existence. So um, it is, uh, on a certain level, it has been called one of the few true universals of uh, of the relationship of music between music and music and and humans in the sense of um, music has always the capacity to move us beat in a, in a in an emotional way or in a in a bodily way and so music has been has been used since you know since the um, the dawn of humanity in order to um, to organize um, to organize bodily movement, be it um, at work when 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 doing work together, trying to collaborate in something, be it also in war and also being a beat in um, in questions or be it in in social bonding, right? It moving to music or making music together makes us a group as humans and and strengthens the bond between us. So music cannot, or rhythm or groove cannot do something for us. It does it for us every day and it happens to us, to billions of us every day. I like this approach very much, yes, it's true. Now, the essence of groove in a nutshell. So now it, it becomes really difficult. So <laughs> I know. Um, <laughs> Um, let, let's start like this. So groove has been a topic among musicians for a long time, and it's, it's being used by musicians um, in a couple of different ways. For example, musicians would talk about um, a groove, which is like an element in music which can, which is repeating and which is the basis of, of, um, of a tune of, or of a song. Then also people talk about uh, two groove like in the sense of a groove as a as a verb as an activity, which basically for at least for musicians in, in in my surroundings means to play music really well together to be well coordinated it really uh, it goes well, and also people sometimes talk about groove um, as more like an aesthetic quality like if music has groove it means. It's really good music. It it has that certain something. A fourth, um, let's say, view on that is or is is the body movement. So whenever um, musicians talk about groove, there is always the, the the notion of body movement that is also involved, and that's the very specific thing that music psychology has basically taken out of this whole bigger picture and said, okay. That's our that's our groove research in the in a psychological psychological sense is the question what in music makes us humans want to move um, with the music in the rhythm of the music and in synchrony with the music. So that's but that's a very psychological point of view. So if you if you ask musicians, the the concept is much more much bigger, much broader. Yeah, uh, my see uh, one of the <laughs> upsides of having a podcast is you get to 
put all these questions to people who have really <laughs> studied things in detail. Now, one of my questions is, we can play music and then ask a lot of people, what did you, how did you perceive it? Did you stimulate some, you know, desire to move? That's certainly one way. Uh, are there other ways to, can we also refer as a groove heart, what it does with the internal rhythms, like heart rate variability or mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or so? This is, has also been done. So there are several ways to actually try to, um, to figure out or to measure whether whether a person actually has this um, is in this state of being in the groove, and so um, one one way which uh, my colleagues and I often use is just asking them right to mm -hmm. to have a questionnaire and trying to um, this is also the, the the most simple way of dealing with that because um, because you can just have uh, some kind of experiment online and people can give their feedback but of course um, it this is always um, biased by the way um, that person understands the questions and how exactly that person wants to to answer these questions so other methods have to do with um, measuring how a person actually moves. So in, in one of our experiments, we, we, put, um, we put a little ping pong ball on, uh, on the headphones and we followed the, the movement of the ping pong ball, which is basically the movement of the head when the music was playing and tried to figure out, okay, how much movement is induced in this person by, by the music she, she or, her, or he is, is listening to. Then there are uh, in Scandinavia, they have whole labs where they have, you know, 24 cameras that would pick up every single, every little movement of a person. And even they even had, you know, dance parties and um, several people moving at the same time. Then there are also um, physiological reactions that are being measured. And one of the most important reaction is actually um, the size of the pupil. Because um, if, uh, if a person is excited, that the, the size of the pupil will change. And so this is also a, a way to access it. It will open up, it will get yeah. up. Mm -hmm. So um, there are several ways to access Groove. Our, um, the, the, we use mostly the, the most simple ways just to ask and to, to, to get a, a, a conscious um, feedback by the, by the listener. Now I have to ask again a question. Sure. Uh, we we all know that most of the people consider Stevie Wonder, you know, kind of, yeah, that's groove. Do you think um, that would be true for a person living nearby here with no exposure to that music? That's a really good point. And what um, what you actually refer to is what has been um, the most uh, the most dramatic change of perspective in the re in recent years. Um, so what what in our field what we tried to do in in the earlier years um, and I mean that's not a long history because psychological groove research starts in two thousand one. So that's actually a pretty short history history, but. Um, the idea was uh, we tried to find what in what in music makes people groove, and people was you know that's the most the most broad way to look at it, meaning everybody, right? And one of the of the of the 
big um, results we had, which came actually out of, of, a, of a failed experiment, is that we found out, okay, it's, there is no, nothing universal so far that we can say that touches all people. Different people will have a different taste, different, uh, they know different music, they are familiar with different styles, etc., and they will react to different music in a, in a very different way. And that's um, actually, for me, one of the most uh, important um, results of the, of the past year that we have to be very, very uh, careful and diverse about what we approach how, so. Cool. And whom we approach with what yes. music. Very cool. Let's make an experiment. Let's play Superstition from Stevie Wonder and see what our listeners feel with that thing, just as a recitation, short piece. Is moving you? Yeah, well, I cannot help it personally. Um, I have to move with that. Yeah. Maybe because I'm a child of the 1970s, right? So that's music that was playing in the background. Um, and apparently many people agree with that notion because there is one study published in 2012, which is one of the, of, of the big founding documents of, of uh, Groove Research where uh, Peter Yanata from, uh, um, from UC Davis in California actually did a, a groove rating and Superstition came very much on top with this American, uh, with this American uh, listener group, of course, yes. Yeah, I will have uh, Yanata this week also on my... Really? Yeah. That's lovely. <laughs> yeah. Groove is, of course, at the center of, if you deal with rhythm, you know, groove is a real important phenomenon. So on this way where we selected some tracks, you sent me one. I'm really curious uh, why it's Peter Pretzmann's Octet with Machine Gun. Yeah. Shall we first listen or... Oh, yeah, please, let's listen. Okay, let's listen first. No groove. Please explain. Well, let me ask you: Did you did you feel the groove? Um, well, there's a very deep uh, timing underneath it. Mm -hmm. When you uh, cut through, you know the rather unpleasant sounds that are intentionally <laughs> created in machine gun. Of course, I read there's even a term to brutal. <laughs> <laughs> that name it's really playing this intensity on the saxophone um yes but mm, i would ask you to make this uh more clear to our listeners what did, what do you feel what do what do you see in this music yeah yeah so um we use that in in one of the experiments as an example 
where we sort thought, okay, that's one of the examples where the, the average music listener will not have direction to uh, want to move with the music. And um, it turned out that this indeed was not, you know, the, um, the, the, the selection for, for anyone's coffee dance. We think this is because um, it, this music basically violates one of the, or one of the basic rules of groove music which is that it must have a regular underlying rhythmic structure that repeats and then that people can relate to. And the reason is that uh, we pretty much, so that's pretty much one of, of the things all groove researchers really agree upon, is that you need this regularity. Because if you want to dance to music, you have to know how to synchronize with music. You have to, you need to have a music that is in a certain sense predictable so in that you can, um, you can synchronize your movements with the music. And um, the Brötzmann Octet very deliberately, and I, I mean, I love this recording because there is so much energy in there. I think it's really amazing. But what they consciously do is they avoid the beat, they avoid regularity, they want spontaneity, spontaneity all the time. And so that's, um, this example is for me an, an anti-groove example because it actually doesn't allow us to plan our movement. I actually, I felt some, you know, movement structure underneath it, of course, uh, otherwise they mm -hmm. couldn't even play together. But does that mean what you just said that um, free jazz basically cannot create groove then? I wouldn't, I wouldn't um, put it that way because it has nothing to do with cannot, right? It's um, do not want to. And yeah. also there are, there are of course, um, there are of course um, free jazz performances where suddenly a groove happens and it disappears, right? That's, um, it, it's, uh, it's just, it's not, just not a precondition for free jazz to have this kind of, um, of regularity. Yeah, just playing with, uh, uh, bringing it up, letting it disappear, dissolve it, you know, like we have heard it, yeah. Mm -hmm. We had another, in, in that experiment, we had another um, interesting example, which was um, an extract from a, a, a Mahler symphony, a slow movement. And we had very interesting uh, feedback to that as well, that people would say, I, want, I would want to move to that music, but normally I'm not allowed to. Right in a in a in a concert hall situation, and my movement would be very different uh, compared to a club or a disco. It would be something very small. It's about uh, very slow. It would be a more a longer uh, movement than, for example, uh, synchronizing with a beat. So it's not clear cut, but that would be another example where you would say, okay, that's not groove music. Yeah, that's amazing because I knew Berend very well back mm -hmm. then. I don't know if you know his name, yeah? And we worked together for quite some time and one of his favorite things was dancing to classical music. And he really? said, okay. Mozart's Requiem too. <laughs> and it was amazing how much resistance many people had, you know, now we can't do that. But then when they went into it, they really went so deep and enjoyed it really deeply. Mm -hmm. I do this quite sometimes. You know, put this music on and move freely and let the music move me. Yeah. So um, I brought you something from my group Megadrums. Oh, lovely. Uh, 
It's a, a short dialogue between Sakir Hussein and Glenn Millers, and I think it's good. Saki Hussein and Glenn, the last in my group, Megadrums. And the question that comes up is we have, on the one hand, techno, and I want to also hear about your experience. Can techno create groove within us? Also, it's very rigid. Then we have things like Safrido, you know, which is actually moving anyone because that's why it's so uh, popular. And then we have that music that certainly is groove, but it's quite complex. So people, I'm not sure if many people could move to that, but it's still groove. Mm-hmm. And then we go in this whole uh, free world where anything could happen and it's unpredictable. No? So the question is when you have a trap drum, you're playing a trap drum. Uh, how do you play groovy? And how do you not play groovy? Every band has a drummer, you know, a trap drummer. So the question is, what does this person have to do 
to drive the bands, to mm. get the band in groove, of course, in collaboration with the bass and everyone else? Um, the honest answer is, I don't know <laughs> what that person has to do. Um, we did a big experiment where we, um, um, what we did is we, we selected 50 great drummers. So, um, so we asked all our drummer friends, etc. well, who are the greatest drummers? We selected five tracks they played and um, we reconstructed all these 250 times eight bars of music. And that was a really big enterprise. So it was um, two colleagues of mine who are musicians. That is Florian Hösel, who is a drummer. And it's Tony Bechtold, who is a saxophonist, who, um, who transcribed the whole uh, you know, eight bars from all these 250 tracks. They really listened to every single detail. They measured the timing of all these events. Wow. Then uh, a third colleague of ours, uh, Lorenz Kirchenmann, he reproduced those, um, those, those um, drum patterns with um, samples. So they have the right dynamics, they have the right um, timing and all the, the patterning is there. So it's like an isolation of the drums. And so the, the basic idea of the experiment was, okay, let's see, we let people um, rate the grooviness of those eight bar extracts to 250 of them. They are um, for all over popular music, or, uh, let's say Western popular music. And um, we then tested a lot of variables to see, okay, what are actually the, um, what are the properties of the, of the drum patterns that correlate or that are, that are associated with high groove ratings. And um, the results were um, very, very um, sobering because uh -huh. there was not much uh, we could really say after that. Maybe we could um, listen to one or two of those reconstructions yes, just to start, that your listeners have an idea what, uh, yeah, what these examples were. Let's start with Chancellor, who of course was the drummer of Billie Jean, Michael Jackson you know, uh, in this recording, Miles Davis, Harry Hancock, he also played with. And that's our first track here. Very straightforward in <laughs> your command, please. Yeah, so this is um, basically the, the bread and butter of, uh, of popular music drumming. So the, the usual, um, the usual Tam Tamlin calls it the archetypical rock beat. So you have on one and three, you have the bass drum on two and four of the beat of the bar, you have the snare drum and you have eight notes in, in the hi-hat. In, uh, in the case of Billie Jean, they have a little shaker going with it. And that's really the, the bread of butter of of popular music drumming. Okay, so let's go to the next. James Gadsden, a really famous Motown uh, drummer, you know, where all these uh, legendary people come out of, and that is his groove. Your comment. So, um, what? Ha so, this is a, um, um, from Gloria Gaynor's "I Will Survive." So, yeah. one of the of the great um, one of the great disco tunes, of course. And um, 
you can recognize that it has the, the typical four to the floor, meaning that the bass drum comes on all, um, on all quarter notes. You have the same snare on two and four, but the, um, in that case, the, the hi-hat makes a little bit more, um, more detail, has, um, has events on the 16th. And what is also typical for disco is that, um, that the hi-hat opens on the, on the um, offbeat eight notes. So that gives this little driving aspect to this, to this beat. Quite interesting. Now for me, Billy Martin what is the most elaborate of, of all of them. Uh, uh, this doesn't mean that the, the other two are not elaborate because it's so basic down. Now let's listen to Billy Martin Jelly Belly. Your comment? So, um, so that's from um, from Billy Martin. So that's more in a in a in a jazz funk domain. So that's played with the uh, the trio with uh, Wood and Medeski, Medeski Martin and Wood, and and so he does a much more complicated thing as you as you say. So all the elements, the bass drum, the snare drum, and the hi hat are, are pretty complicated. Um, events happen on. Um, on 60 off 16th notes, and so there is a lot of syncopation. So this is more or less the range of complexities we had in our um, in our experiment, going from Billie Jean, which is really the, the most simple um, one, and up and to to Billy Bob Martin, which is just you know just this this drum beat is an artwork by itself, right? It's um, it's uh, nearly unbelievable that one person does it this all by himself on one instrument right? and it's also a, a marvel how my colleagues transcribed that i mean that's also an awesome work so we had these 250 patterns that that have all these range of of variability and 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 differences and we thought okay we should find out what what works best right what has actually most effect on um on the, on the listeners and we did find a couple of things. So, for example, um, when uh, when a drum pattern was syncopated, there was a tendency that it was it was slightly felt to be more groovy. Also, when the density of events was was somewhat higher. Also, for example, when there was when there were sixteenth notes in in the hi hat and they were slightly swinged. So you had a, a little swing pattern, short uh, long short pattern uh, on the sixteenth. But these effects were all tiny. I mean, they would explain maybe 1% of the variance of the groove ratings, which is nothing, which means, um, yeah, you haven't explained 99%, right? That's the, that's the problem here. So, and we were really frustrated after, you know, after all this work and this wonderful uh, experiment and a lot of people have participated because we were somehow somehow lucky with the um, with the whole press process. So we put out the press um, notice and that blew up somehow in, in uh, you know, on in the press and we got a lot of people to participate. And then what we found out is, you know, it was a little mouse of an effect. And as always, when when things go terribly wrong, is uh, yeah, one gets creative, right? One tries to figure out what, what is going on here because we have the best material we could have, 
why don't we measure the effects we want to measure? And just um, so we started to um, to look for um, for effects that didn't necessarily have to do with the drum patterns themselves, but with the people listening to them. And that was a true revelation because it it showed that not everybody reacts the same. And there were patterns, but that they depended much more on the person listening. For example, expertise had a big influence. If you take, um, if you take Billie Jean, that goes really well with people who have no um, have no musical training, who just listen from music uh, to music for fun, and they have uh, they have a blast with with the Billie Jean beat. The Billy Martin beat would go really well with people who um, you know have musical training, who uh, who love also the the whole uh, the whole detail, the whole uh, com complications of of this beat, and so these people would react very positively to that. And two extremely big factors were um, musical taste. So if someone thinks that a, a drum pattern comes from a style that the person likes, the, the groove ratings were really high. And if it's from if they thought it was from an, uh, from a style they did not like, then it would be they would, uh, that beat would, would get a very low low ratings. And the other one is familiarity. When people thought, oh, I think I know that. It doesn't necessarily have to be true. It's just a thought that think, oh, I think I've heard that before. Then they would give um, substantially higher uh, groove rating. So we like to think, we like the things, we um, like the style of the music, we like the music when we are familiar with it. And so that was the like the watershed in our research to say, oh, we have to look, we wanted to look at music, but we have to look at people as well. Now, there are two um, research results that I can tell you that were really stunning me. I have um, programmed uh, something called the Takatina Explorer. Takatina's method, I developed uh, how to get into rhythm with the body, and we uh, get a software um, program. And in this um, process, I said, okay, I cannot just use a metronome. I want to know what happened if I invite 5,000 people, which we really did, wow. and let them synchronize with a metronome, clapping yeah. was, you know, and all of them were, of course, in a bigger or smaller degree, not on the beat, if mm -hmm. the drummers were not really on the beat, if you measure it really precisely. And what is, was astonishing for me, no one was just a little bit in front, a little bit behind, and a little bit behind, a little bit in front. It was all waves going over that. You could always see this was a wave going in front, going back, mm -hmm. fluctuation. Yep. So here comes the second thing. We did a lot of research in heart rate variability, which means if your heart is absolutely rigid, it's a clear indication will die soon. Every physician will tell you that. And I worked with a lot of physicians. If it's absolutely rigid, your uh, chances of living longer is not really good. Mm -hmm. And then on the other hand, if you have a whole uh, great uh, volatility in your rhythms uh, of the heart and very chaotic, you can also die from a heart arrhythmia. But in between, there is a realm of flexibility and fluctuation that is really indicating great health 
and it, this vagotonal state that it's called indicates health. So in the music, you know, if you would play modes that exactly on a metronome, just run it through a, a sequencer, you'll see, nah, not Mozart really. And then if you really distort it, you know, by voluntarily, everyone say, nah, it's not music either. So there is something that I'm interested in, which is that midpoint where it's just in the right fluctuation. Yeah. Would you call that groove or? That was actually the topic of, of one of our first experiments. And um, we didn't really find that middle ground in the sense of um, what we did with that, with that experiment is we had uh, musician colleagues of, our, of ours play, um, play a funk pattern, which was, it was a drummer, it was a bassist. And so they played with a metronome and exactly those phenomena that you that you described would exactly happen right so they they were playing around the beats there was some yeah there was some liberty with uh, with with the metronome and 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 it uh, the music breathed well so we uh, we let them also choose the, ex the example that they thought okay that's that one that, that we liked best and what we then did is um we started to shift around these events basically we scaled them uh, with uh, relatively to the metronome, meaning we made versions that were very tight in the sense of all the events were on, on the metronomic grid. And then we started to, to, you know, to make them looser up to a point where it was uh, double the distance from what it was originally played. And we, we played that back to the listeners and, and uh, they gave their groove ratings. And we found out that when, um, when the micro timing or the, the timing deviations were exaggerated, then the groove ratings dropped very fast. So it started to be a little bit uncoordinated and, and people picked up on, on that immediately. But on the other hand, when tightening it, that did not have that effect at all. So the, the very tight, the super metronomic version was as groovy to the listeners as the original. And in between it was a, a little curve. So uh, what was best liked was the one the one version that was a slightly tighter than actually played. But um, we can say that when it is very precise, when there is a little bit of micro timing, that's all in the groove zone. But when it gets too loose, then it it started to lose the the cohesion and 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 people uh, and the rating started to drop off. That brings so, me a smile because I'm on this track for a long time. Uh, I am uh, a lover of uh, mantra, Indian uh, uh, music, but also on techno. And people say, Reinhard, how, how can this go together? So I believe, and I think our next sound example is a great example for this. You know, we have the Safri duo which is very much on the beat, but it's so fucking funky <laughs> that it kind of uh, triggers a real movement within you. And I've seen people going into extreme states of trance and movement trance in the right club. I mean, there's of course primitive disco. We'll have uh, a real good techno guy the next week here. Uh, Venshitz, he, you know, is in all the big clubs around the world. And I'm really want to go deep that because 
the split is unnecessary to say, no, 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 this is just, you know, this is not rhythm. It is. Let's hear a little bit of the suffering brother duos. thing in this is that they bring really good groove and interlocking and then boom they go on the beat back you know so they get everyone from both worlds actually uh, you know what you have described some um, listeners would more relate to a more fancy drum beat you know but with this, I guess they get both worlds because uh, now, in the end, everyone can relate again to it and it also attracts the more delicate uh, people in that. Uh, I, I totally agree with that. I actually proposed that example also because it, yeah, because it also has a, a biographic, biographical meaning for me. I never really liked to go to, you know, techno parties because for me it's too, uh, too stomp. And then... Um, one time I got into a party where there, were, there was a DJ doing his techno plus two uh, percussionists. And that was the best thing ever because um, it was like, you know, you had this very, very strong beat, which, which can be totally um, compelling, of course. But then you had two people who um, acted around that and who created rhythm around that. And that was for me one of the, of the greatest um, clubbing experiences ever. Yeah, it's like you have a spine and you have a lot of flesh around. Yes, it. yeah, exactly. Yeah, actually, um, I play another tune from Megadrums, also with Ayato Morero Sake, who's in uh, Milton Cardona, who unfortunately already is dead, a great uh, conga and bata drum from New York. And that is pretty much on the grid also, but then it goes out. So we're coming more and more closer to that. It's not like just a certain realm of flexibility that is the more you go to this core where it's really grooving it's really on the beat and then you move a little bit around seems to be our pleasure point <laughs> Thank you. 
con Balafone de The Great Ballerina Rancho. En un flute, Wolfgang Puschnick. As we gradually come to the end of our discussion, is there anything from your point you want to finally tell our listeners, Groove? Actually, not much other than um, the mystery of Groove is still a mystery. So that's something which um, after maybe five or six years in that, that domain, I think everybody working in that domain would agree that um, it is a mystery to um, that we it's not simply solvable with you know you make an experiment and then you know it's more now like a, a journey going towards okay we have to look at the humans in their entirety with their history with their taste with their situations they are in right music will not groove the same in this situation than in another situation etc so what we did recently is we tried to figure out, okay, let's put everything on, on one plate and see what we know so far. And we made some kind of, of a model to say, okay, those are what we know so far. And those are the questions we are next trying to look at. And so we're moving on with, with new experiments. And um, the, the next ex experiments will be about also what, for example, moving to the music feeds back into, into our perception of music, right? So it's not only that music makes us move, us move, it's also moving makes our perception of music um, take a different term and take, take a different quality. And so it is a whole picture, a whole very mysterious picture, and I intend to make a whole career of studying it. Thank you so much. That was a wonderful talk. and. I also uh, like the circumstance that uh, also we met the first time. Um, I started my whole episode with Mystery of Groove and now we're coming back and you confirm that, yeah, it is a mystery. So when you like our subject, our episode here, where can my listeners find you? So, um, if they want to find my research, so my name is Olivier Sen, and you find the, the groove model on a journal called uh, Preliminaries, uh, in a journal called Frontiers in Psychology, and the paper is called Preliminaries uh, for a Psychological Model of Musical Groove. So that could be a good starting point if people want to start. And of course, there is also my email address, so if they want to get in touch with me. Okay, thank you so much for your time, for your knowledge, and thank you listeners to be with us exploring groove, rhythm, the one thing that connects us all. If you like my podcast, please subscribe. Go to www.powerofrhythm.com forward slash podcast. And you can also follow me on Facebook and Instagram. Lots of more things coming ahead. Today evening, we have Arthur Hall, great drum circle facilitator. Late in the week, we have 
Yanata Pietrel Yanata was a great, a great guy in the groove research. Next week we have Venchitz as on the techno side and we have Cabezon, a very extraordinary guy in the handpan playing. With this, have a great day and thank you for contemplating with us. <laughs>